Witness protection can't erase his past. This is Nailgun Messiah, the first book in the Micah Reed series. One novel, read to you a chapter at a time. Join us each week for a new installment of the story and get the book at jimheskett.com forward slash nailgun podcast. And now, the host and author, Jim Heskett. Oh, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nailgun Messiah podcast show thing, serialized reading installment book program that we have for you. I hope that I got all the keywords out there uh, in the beginning so that, uh, that all the SEOs will come to me and I will one day rule the world. Mwahaha. Anyway, welcome back, everybody. I know it feels like I just saw you like yesterday. And here we are again. But, you know, um, uh, I because we're running out of book to read, and I know we're getting to the exciting, uh, I can't say beginning of the end because it's more like middle of the end or the middle end of the end, um, I wanted to make sure that you guys had lots of Nailgun Messiah in your life and you didn't have to wait like three days or a week or whatever in between installments so you can get your Nailgun Messiah fix, get your Micah Reed fix on a daily dose. Uh, from here until the end, and there's only a couple more uh, sections to read after today. But anyway, boy howdy, boy howdy, do we have an exciting section to read today. It's a little bit shorter one, and it's just two scenes. It's a Lila scene and then a Micah scene, um, but we're going to get into that shortly. There was one little thing I wanted to talk about uh, before I got started, and that was the theme of today's episode is keeping a series fresh. Because if you guys are listening to this, this might be your first ever Micah Reed book, and it is book number one in the series. And technically, and I think I've talked about this before, it's actually the second Micah Reed book that I wrote. The first one being a book called Airbag Scars, which Airbag Scars isn't for sale anywhere in the world. It is literally nowhere in the world you can buy it. And the only place you can get that is at jimheskett.com. It's on my website, and you get it for signing up to my email list. Um, so that's pretty cool. All you have to do is give me your email address and you get a free full-length Micah Reed novel that proceeds chronologically proceeds this book and fills in some of the holes in Micah's backstory. Uh, a lot more of the holes in Micah's backstory get filled in in book four in the series, which is called Snitch, which comes out in August of 2016. So at the time of this recording, it's not available yet, but it's uh, on pre-order. And that book flashes back actually to Micah's time during the cartel. So you find out uh, more about him. It's not, I, I didn't want to go to the Star Wars route, you know, hashtag midichlorians. I didn't want to go that, that route and, and tell you, answer every single little Micah Reed question, especially ones that people don't want answered. You know, nobody, let me rant about Star Wars for a second. Nobody gave a shit what the force was made of. You know, the fact that it was like some mystical, religious uh, juju, everybody was just fine with that. But then George Lucas, dipshit, had to go ruin it with this midichlorian bullshit. And I'm so glad in the new Star Wars movies that they just ignore that concept entirely. Anyway, um, I'm sorry I went on a rant there. I could rant for a lot longer about Star Wars and other such nerdy things, but I'm not gonna because that's not why we're here. But what I really wanted to talk about was keeping a series fresh because, you know, I'm, I'm an author, obviously. And I haven't been publishing very long, just a couple of years, and I've, I've got a few series under my belt. I wrote the Five Sons uh, Saga series, which is a dystopian 
series, uh, and there's there's part one and part two, and I had thought that that was complete, but I'm now considering writing a third book to make it a trilogy and a book that will really... Because the end of the second book, I tied up a lot of story arcs, but I didn't really complete the story. I left some things open-ended. Um, and so I think I might write a third book in that series. But then the series that I'm probably most known for, aside from Micah Reed, is the Whistleblower Trilogy. And even though that's a trilogy, there's a fourth book planned in the trilogy. And I'm not going to get into explaining why there would be four books in a trilogy right now. But So the only series I've written so far have been closed-looped um, things. And the Micah Reed series is the only series that's basically open-ended. And the stories are essentially standalone. So there's not like um, a five or six or seven book arc planned. The stories could, in, in theory, go on indefinitely. And so one of the things challenges I'm running into is how you keep writing books in a series and keep them fresh. Um, you know, I know Jack Reacher is, is a very popular character. Lee Child is a very rich author. And there are like 20, 25, 50 books in the Jack Reacher series. And I've read a few of them, and I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan. But I know that definitely the quality quality of most series go down over time, unless you've got something that's like a closed loop series where it has a beginning, middle, and end. Like the Harry Potter series, the later books are actually even better because it's getting closer to the end of the story. So how do you keep a story fresh and exciting when there's essentially no end to it? And so that's what I'm running into in the Micah Reed is I'm, I'm working to keep, because not only do I have to tell a story in each new book that is interesting and is exciting and will intrigue readers, but I also have to do something that I haven't done before. So that's um, presenting a, a challenge for me, and it's a challenge that I enjoy. So one of the things that I like doing is I like looking at, um, at I have an ongoing Micah Reed Bible, which is the, the, the Micah Reed backstory and, and all of his information about him and his family that I, that I keep adding to and going back to for story elements. And you note um, in this book, Nelgan Messiah is all about Micah and his sister Magdalene and that other members of Micah's family haven't really been mentioned. I don't even know if it's mentioned in this book yet or it will be that Micah has uh, a, a sister named Magda. He has two parents who are still married and still alive and he has a brother and the brother is mentioned in several books, but he hasn't actually made an appearance and his name hasn't ever even been mentioned. And the book I'm writing now, which is going to be book five in the series, and it doesn't have a title yet, and hopefully it'll be coming out in November or December of 2016. That's the plan. Uh, this book involves Micah's brother. And Micah, once again, like Nailgun Messiah, has to do something to aid his brother. But it's it's different. It's not like he doesn't, you know, his brother doesn't get himself involved in a cult. And Micah has to infiltrate the cult to, to help his brother. It's a very different kind of story, but... Tonally, it's sort of this similar along Nelgan Messiah and that, that Micah has to make some sacrifices to help a member of his family. And so that's the kind of thing I'm talking about with keeping a series fresh is that I want to keep the theme related the same, but make the stories different enough that each one feels fresh. You know, I don't ever want the Micah Reed books to fall victim to that kind of formulaic thing like a lot of especially thriller series get into where it's like the, the each book is just the same basic plot over and over again with different characters plugged into it. And I don't ever want to do that. I don't ever want to get the Micah Reed books pigeonholed into where they're the same thing over and over again. I want them to each feel fresh and feel different. And so 
I guess maybe the point of my story here, the point of all this long ramble, is that when I feel like I can no longer tell an original Micah Reed story, then that'll probably be time to close the series. And anyway, that was some real next-level behind-the-curtain shit you were just getting right there. So let's go ahead and get past all that uh, foofy jujuba um, uh, um, behind-the-scenes stuff. And let's go ahead and talk about our reading. Like I said, it's a little bit shorter one today. And, you know, don't freak out because you're going to get another episode tomorrow. How cool is that? But our reading today, there's a Lila scene. If you remember, last time we saw Lila, she had gone to the prison to pick up Cyrus and to take him back to Netherland. And Cyrus was very upset with the way that Lila had been running the house. And Lila revealed to Cyrus that... Um, former uh, housemate uh, Rodney was she discovered that he was an ATF agent and she told Cyrus and Cyrus was very terrible to her about this he hit her while she was driving the car and so Lila was confused about what to do about this and also the second scene we're reading today is a Micah scene and the last time we saw Micah he was at the Frozen Dead Guy Days Festival he had just helped Hannah and Garrett get out of town by giving giving their helper, Father Thomas Benedict, their passports so that they could actually escape the country. And then, so after Micah did that, he didn't know what to do. He wandered back into the festival, and he looked across the street, and he saw Seth, the guy from way back in Chapter 1 who had been holding Micah captive and who had stabbed Micah in the thigh with the screwdriver. And Micah saw him and realized he knew what to do about Lila and so today we're going to explore continuations of both those scenes. And so here we go. Lila drove up Canyon toward Netherland and the traffic slowed to a crawl as soon as they entered the mountains. She spotted the turnoff for Magnolia Road, a winding and steep drive up to a ridge that overlooked most of central Colorado. Her jaw pulsed and ached. Cyrus had hit her half a dozen times between Lyman and here. Each time, she went inside herself and questioned why she was doing this. Why she let him treat her this way and how much longer she could endure it. She flicked on her turn signal and slowed to exit onto Magnolia. Cyrus had not stopped talking for the last hour, spewing about the True Mana website and his plan to fix it now that he was back at running the show. How they would burn the Catholic Church to the ground to keep the priest at bay, and then they would fly to New York and demand to be on television so they could tell the whole world how sin would pull them all into the pit. "'What are you doing?' he said in mid-rant. "'This isn't the way back to Ned.' She turned at the first hairpin curve at an angle so steep she had to drop down into first gear to get momentum. She spun the steering wheel all the way to the right to stay on the road. "'We need to talk before we go home.' "'Like hell we do. Turn around and get us back on the canyon. Whatever you want to talk about, it can wait until later.' No, she said as she rounded the next turn, then slowed to enter a pullout next to the road. Gravel crunched under the car's tires as she stopped and killed the engine. She'd parked in a small open area with trees clogging the space beyond the turnout to the right. On the other side of the road, a steep cliff led a few hundred feet down into the canyon. He unbuckled his seatbelt and faced her. Turn around right now, Shakina. I have had enough of you delaying us. What is it you're keeping from me back at this house you love so much? Tears burned at the corners of her eyes. It's not the house I love, Cyrus. It's you. 
I've done everything for you, made every possible sacrifice, and I still don't understand why you treat me this way. He waved his hands around in the seat, making the car rock on its tires. Treat you what way? What are you rambling about? He made a grab at the keys dangling from the ignition, but Lila snatched them first and shoved them in her pocket. Listen to me, she said. I want us to make all decisions together. We're supposed to be man and wife, but you don't give me the respect I deserve. Man and wife, he muttered. Start this car right now. I'm not going to tell you again. No, not until you hear what I have to say. He lunged across the seat and wrapped a hand around her throat. His thumb dug into her windpipe, pressing, and immediately her vision filled with stars. Head pounded. Couldn't breathe. For a few seconds, she did nothing. Couldn't believe this was happening to her. Then instinct took over, and she noticed Cyrus's tongue was sticking out between his bare teeth, and she punched him under his jaw with her free hand. His teeth chomped down on his tongue, blood spurting from his mouth. "'Why did you make me do that?' she said. "'You stupid bitch!' he said through a mouthful of blood. "'I'll kill you for that!' Lila's eyes landed on a nail gun in the back seat. Eagle must have put it there. Cyrus continued to boil as blood dripped from his mouth, babbling, speaking gibberish, and a rage like she'd never seen before. He thrust a hand out to choke her, trying to get his bloody fingers around her throat. On impulse, she snatched the nail gun and found the trigger as Silas grunted and reached for her again. In one motion, she lifted the nail gun and put it to Cyrus's forehead, depressed the safety and pulled the trigger. Didn't even think about what was about to happen, only felt the driven need to protect herself. The nail gun kicked back against her hand and, she, and a quarter-inch hunk of metal jutted from Cyrus's forehead. Blood dotted the hole, quickly, drib quickly dribbling down from it. For a moment, all the world turned numb and cold. She had injured the lamb. She had struck him and now he bled. His life was pouring out of his forehead, burgundy red, warm, cooling in the air inside this car. Her skin was on fire. She had never thought she could have risen up against him like this. Not possible. He screamed again and his eyes went cross trying to look up at his own forehead. Without thinking, Lila pressed the nail gun against his face and jabbed five more nails into him. The recoil of the nail gun made the nails trail down from his temple along his cheek. The spatters of blood sprayed her face and clothes. Blood leaked from the holes in his head. His hands closed over the wounds, but the blood kept coming faster and faster, and his hands became a red mess. His cries turned into wails. Bile billowed up through her throat and ejected from her mouth, spraying down her shirt and onto her arms. That sick and sour wince at the back of her throat brought saliva willing until her mouth was filled. He stilled, and she thought he might be dead. Then his body jerked once, twice, and he waved his hands and arms frantically as he tried to pull the nails from his head. He gave up and reached across, desperately grabbing at her face and clothes. She felt the blood on his hands smear on her skin. Cyrus's blood, touching her flesh, entering it and becoming a part of her. She opened the door and rounded the car, shaking with tears and panic. The nail gun clattered in her hand. She hadn't wanted to shoot him. Why did he make her do that? Why wouldn't he listen? This is your fault, she shouted through the car window, tears burning her cheeks. I love you with all my heart and you're a monster. How could I love a monster? The vomit coating her chin and neck congealed in the cool air. She shivered. Lila opened Cyrus's car door and grabbed his button-down shirt, now not so blue. She dragged him out of the car and his body thudded into the gravel next to the car. 
Blood had smeared all over her arms and pants. That crisp smell of the trees invaded her nose. Such an intoxicating scent to be outside in the fresh air, to breathe the clean oxygen the trees provided for her. His chest continued to rise and fall even though his eyes were now closed. He was dying. The Lamb of God shouldn't be able to die, but here he was, bleeding out on the ground. Not immortal. Not omnipotent. His eyes opened, full of fire, and he reached for her, so she held the nail gun to his chest and squeezed the trigger until the rest of the nails passed into his heart. Didn't think about it. Just acted. Wanted him dead. Wanted his poison gone from the earth. She watched the blood continue to spread from the wounds in his chest. Maybe he wasn't the anointed one after all. Maybe he was never able to understand the scriptures as he'd claimed. Micah checked the time on the clock over the Chamber of Commerce building. Since today was the day Cyrus was getting out of prison, he had to assume Lila would have gone to get him at the usual release time of 9am, which meant she would be getting back into town about now. Everything in Micah's plan hinged on Lila and Cyrus coming to this festival as soon as possible. Everyone in the same place at the same time. If she took him home instead, then it wouldn't work. If Seth decided to take off and left before she arrived, it wouldn't work. If that stupid red-headed idiot with the sock full of quarters reappeared and drew attention to Micah, the plan would not work. Way too many variables. Micah felt powerless, standing around with no phone and no means to defend himself, keeping an eye on Seth as he and his buddy swilled beer under a heated tent, observing. He hated that his plan was so tenuous, but it seemed to be the only thing he had left. Then, another wrinkle appeared. He spotted Magda across the street, watching the parade. She was standing alone among the crowd, her arms hugging her sides, her face forlorn. Hannah and Magda had taken the day off work to come here for the festival, so maybe Magda was hoping to meet Hannah out here on the street, oblivious to the fact that Hannah had already bolted and was on her way out of town, maybe already out of the country. Micah didn't know if he should try to get Magna's attention or stay hidden. Would she lash out at him, scream his name, give away his position to Seth? No, she shouldn't see him yet. Once he'd taken care of Seth and Lila, then he would deal with Magda. Or maybe he'd deemed to block her from joining the inevitable scrum. A group of coffin racers came trotting along the street dressed as Star Wars characters, each of them holding one corner of a coffin resembling a spaceship. Han Solo, Chewbacca, Darth Vader, and Boba Fett. The person inside the Boba Fett costume turned his helmeted head toward Micah and nodded, and Micah gave him a salute in return, the unspoken Boba Fett kinship salute. And then, Micah noticed Eagle's tall and dark frame through the crowd, on a path seemingly toward Magda, that sweeping black duster swishing from side to side as he pushed through the people. Looked like Micah wouldn't be able to keep Magda out of this for now, if that's where Eagle was headed. Eagle threw back his jacket and raised his arm. He was carrying the same nail gun Micah had sold him. His finger curled around the trigger. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope you were listening and hope you were paying attention. If not, you need to go back to the beginning and start this over again because... I'm not going to repeat everything I just said on the next episode. Nope, we're going to keep pushing on and reading different texts next time. So if you weren't paying attention, 
you need to go back and listen to this again. And you can't rely just on my recaps to know what's going on. No, no, no. You can't get the Cliff's Notes. You need the whole version. Anyway, everybody, that's all I'm going to lecture you for today. And um, thanks for listening. And I'll see you guys tomorrow. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to this week's installment of Nailgun Messiah. Be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes and tell your friends about it. Don't deprive them of this show. Go to www.jimheskid.com forward slash nailgunpodcast for information and we'll see you next week. 